Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, I'm Billy Munger. And hello, I am the one and only Johnny Herbert. The one and only. Yes. Check you out, mate. <laughs> Welcome back to Lift the Lid, the podcast that takes you flat out around the world of Formula One. Yeah, and thank you to everyone who has been in touch about the episode about Billy's crash, which we put out last week. And if you haven't seen it, you need to make sure you go back and have a listen because it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it was good to go back to Donington and to discuss what happened with you, Johnny May. I enjoyed that and I really appreciate all the messages and everyone that's got in touch with us on the socials at Lift the Lip Pod saying that they enjoyed it. Really good to see. We are back to our usual schedule, so stay with us as we open Team Radio and answer your questions as we lift the lid. Right, Billy, before we jump into uh, the questions this week... We've got a few very exciting things coming up in the next few weeks, haven't we? Indeed we do. More to be announced soon, but we'll be visiting an F1 team in the next few weeks. And also we have something very exciting at Silverstone confirmed that we'll be letting you guys in on soon. Great stuff and look forward to those. Let's dive in to the questions, Billy Boy. Straight into the deep end, mate. Lots of discussion on our social channels, mate. Uh, a lot of chat about Lewis going to Ferrari off the back of what we came out with in our last podcast. <laughs> also, uh, a few people have said that they love the pod, which is always good to hear. We've got a first question from Becky. I think this is one to get stuck into straight away. It says, she said, hey, guys, love the pod. Just wondering, can you explain why some cars and teams are having more problems with tyre deg than others? So... What do we want to tell Becky about tyre deg and, you know, what, why you may struggle more than other teams? Yeah, well, it's it's one of those things. It's a bit of a difficult one because it does seem to be everyone after Red Bull were the ones who seem to be who seem to be struggling with it to, to a degree. Ferrari were worse than most of the Mercedes and the Aston, for example. But, of course, this time around, they weren't as bad as they as they were before. I, th- I think 
the one advantage I still believe anyway, the one one thing that I think Red Bull can use to their advantage is that straight line speed. Because I think yeah. it just gives them that little extra uh, time to not lean on the tyres as much as they, they, they need to. So I think that is where, as we mentioned before, Billy, the other teams have got to somehow yeah. work out how they can control that uh, that uh, top speed that that Red Bull has a massive, massive advantage. And as I said, I think that is where they're just able to look after the tyre a little bit more because they have so much advantage down the straight. Yeah, I mean, tyre deg, when we kind of say that, it's more talking about, you know, the the rate at which the tyres drop off and when they're brand new. So when the tyres are brand new in Formula 1, you've got, you know, the maximum amount of grip as such, but quite quickly as you, you know, putting a lot of strain through that tyre, uh, it fades away and you lose performance. So what Johnny kind of said there is that the fact that Red Bull are so good in that straight line, it means that when it gets to the corners, they can maybe lean on their tyres a little bit less, you know, save a bit of that tyre life. And then that helps them to extend the stint and, uh, yeah, look so in their, a league of their own when it's uh, on the Sunday, isn't it, mate? Yeah, it does. And uh, it's always been the case, I suppose, when you go back over sort of the decades, there's always someone who's had a car that is better off uh, with the way it looks after the tyre. But also, as you know, Billy, I think you even have someone like Sergio Perez, who seems to have a knack and has done since he came into Formula One way back when. And he does have a very good feel. Yeah, so why do you think that is, Johnny? Because obviously that's an element where he seems as a driver to be able to make a difference. It's not just down to the car and the setup. seems like he can make a difference over his teammates. Is that just him being super smooth on the throttle application? Or, you know, just what, where do you think he finds that little edge? I, I think there is an element of where he is sort of more careful with the way, you know, with the application of that throttle, like you say, Billy Boy. But... I think it's also down to the feeling he gets, the feedback he gets from the tyre, and it's his ability to respond to what the, he feels the tyres are doing, and then he can actually sort of move into a comfort zone that he's happy with. When the tyre goes into an uncomfortable zone, he's able to bring it back into the zone that he's very happy with. And I, th- I think you, we've, we've seen it from, a, from an Alain Prost, the professor, a man who was able to sort of do a very, very similar thing. So I think there are certain drivers that, that can do it better than others. I don't think he's probably that much better, or if, if he's better at all, I'm, I probably would probably uh, doubt that, than Max, than, uh, than maybe uh, Lewis as well, maybe George at the same time. They all have a certain skill set. But of course, when he's in a car that he's in at the moment, that red ball is something that he does seem to get that, little bit extra out of the car and I think where we saw him sort of perform very well in in Baku was precisely because I think he had a tyre that was in better shape than Max's. Yeah I think from my experience you know you you can so one weekend you can have that tyre life under control if you're feeling at one with the car but then equally if you're struggling with the balance with the car on brand new tyres in a qualifying session that normally translates that in the race you're not quite dialed in with the car. So when the tyre does start to fade away, maybe you don't know how to adjust your driving style accordingly. So then that kind of, sometimes as a driver, you can escalate the problem by not yeah. being able to feel confident enough with the car to do something different to fix what's going on underneath you. So there's there's normally a wide variety of things, you know, you can try and do as a driver to fix the tyre life and to try and extend it. But yeah, normally that just means, to be honest, driving slower, which no one yeah, wants to yeah. do. But it's a balance, isn't it, Billy? Because it's all 
it's also when you get a bit of a push from mid corner to exit of understeer, for example, you don't want to just keep on pushing it every every corner you come to. As soon as you do that, you punish it. You punish it on that one corner alone. So then you realise, well, I can't do it at the next. So then you're right. You back out of it slightly, not by half a second or a second. You know, we're talking of sort of half a tenth, maybe maximum. You know, yeah. the drivers have a very, very special feel of what they need to do without fundamentally losing that much time. But they're able to sort of look after that tire. But uh, the other thing you're right about, Billy, as well, is where you can't do it every single weekend. And actually, you'll find that your teammate might do it better. And let's say going into into Miami, it may, it may be Max who may be able to do it better. So you're right. If you're in the window with a car, you can feel it better. But trying to get it into that window for yourself just to feel the car is it's a difficult thing. Yeah, that's definitely a question. The, like the that. tricky bit. Yeah, lots to, to talk about around that one, mate. What what's next? What other questions have we got? Well, I got one here from Graham. What is the worst job in F1? The worst job in F1. Well, I'll, I've got an answer straight off the bat that's come to mind. And well, it's maybe not the worst job in F1. It's probably the job that I would least like to have in F1, and that's being a driver steward. <laughs> I think being a driver steward in the world of F1 with all these you know, last-minute decisions that seem to be going on at the minute and the controversy around a lot of them, I think I'd like to steer clear of being in the steward's office and actually having to make those calls. Let someone else have them their fair share of the blame on when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, and I understand your thinking on that one. I'm going to go slightly different. Uh, Joe Bauer. And Joe Bauer is basically the the head of the FIA who looks and monitors everything that t- the teams are doing over the weekend. And he is making sure that the cars are to the rules and are legal when they go into the race and when actually they finish the race and they go into Park, park Ferme. But I would imagine that is hell on earth because... When you might have a little bit of a query, it's the way the teams, I would ex- I would think, would actually really sort of almost lead you down a very windy garden path to try and yeah. try and sort of say, actually, no, it is okay because, and if we sort of look at the way the rules are written, we think it's actually within the rules because of X, Y, and Z. So I think, I think Joe's got a very, very difficult... Difficult job trying to sort of make everybody follow the rules. Yeah, that that sounds like a bit of a situation where you feel like you can't trust anyone with the job you're doing. You have to always be like, you know, thinking that someone's trying to have you over and say something's legit when probably it, it might not be. They might have, you know, they might be breaking rules. Yeah, it's interpretation, isn't it? Yeah. Interpretation. Yeah, and that is where it's very, very hard. And that's where you can sort of have a an argument, but actually you don't come out of it sort of knowing exactly where you are because everybody has a slightly different interpretation of way the the rules are written. So but yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to want to deal with the teams, that's for sure. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think uh, both of those those options are a no goes for me and you, Johnny. We've got another question here. Okay. This is from yep. Will. And it says, I love the tradition of a driver maintaining their helmet design throughout their career. What was the background to Johnny's orange-black-white design? Yes. Well, Will, it's quite simple because in my very early days when I was doing Formula 4 and Formula 3, I just had a very plain, very boring white helmet. Yeah. And then as I was sort of getting more towards the end of Formula 3, but going to Formula 3000 towards Formula 1, I wanted a helmet that stood out, that you could see. 
if you're at the front of the grid, which is obviously an easier an easier thing place to see it. But also if you're in the middle of the pack among all the goings on that happens that mid pack, and that's why the sort of the bright orange was really there. The black and the white was something that just sort of blended very well. I changed it a bit over the years. It used to sort of it had a little a few more angles originally when I started, and then I actually made more rings because I sort of did that from a sponsorship point of view, so it gave you more space. And the only yeah. thing I added was there was a bit more of a Union Jack on the chin, and there was like a raindrop uh, Union Jack on the top of the helmet originally, yeah. which I, I didn't have. So, But I always, I, I agree, Will. I wish the drivers would stick to what they originally were racing, either in karting or all the other various formulas. And it's brilliant what they do with all the trade. Lando is one of those, but of course, many of them do it. Uh, Sebastian Vettel used to do it quite a lot as well, where they do change it for a particular country that, that they they go to. But I, I think it sort of loses what that helmet means to a driver. You know, Ayrton Senna, yeah. what, color, what color is Ayrton Senna's helmet? Yeah, I know. I was literally, as you yellow. were saying that, I was yeah. thinking exactly of Ayrton Senna. People like, you know, even Michael Schumacher, you know, their designs yeah. as a racing driver, they're etched in, in my brain and I can just picture their crash helmets. Well, nowadays, like you say, the drivers do have new helmets for every different race weekend to, to either, you know, talk about the culture of the places they're going to or to just have a bit of fun with some designs. It's all, you know, quite... It quite fall out well back in the day it was like no this is my helmet yeah. design and i'm gonna stick with it so i get what you mean mate i mean from my perspective um with my crash helmet i yeah. sort of picked out the color scheme for mine when i was a kid because my uncle had a porsche uh dealership and he used to sponsor me in karting so he's colored porsche yes. mint green color so that ended up becoming my my sort of um color that i used on my helmet but i loved when i, I remember when i was eight or nine years old and I had the same as you when I started a <laughs> plain white and everyone around me had all these, you know, fancy coloured helmets. <laughs> and I remember the few week period where I went through the process of designing my crash helmet and I absolutely loved it. Loved sitting there with a pen and paper. There was little helmet templates you used to print out and I used to sit in my camper van thinking, oh, what design can I come up with? What do I want my helmet to be like? So, yeah, I had a big uni jack that went right around the front and up the back, checkered flag on the top um and this Porsche green and that just kind of again like most modern drivers i changed it a little bit as i went through but the kind of color that color was always on all my helmets regardless yeah i remember actually before i got into formula one i always remember i knew who was in the car because i looked at the helmet i knew what the helmet colors were and that was how i un I, I knew it was in either one of the williamses or one of the mclarens or whatever it may have been so so you could always not look for the number or look for the colored mirrors or something like that it was just purely the helmet so yeah so yeah mine was just to try and stand out which is why effectively had that bright orange and it blended quite well is that not the uh black i'm trying to think black white and orange is that not the mechanical failure flag are you tempting fate there mate with the old uh well color scheme that is a very good point because I believe <laughs> if I do stats on my career, I'm sure I I only finished about fifty two percent of my Grand Prix. Some were my fault, but not most of them weren't. But there was a there was a there was a particular unluckiness, if there's such yeah. a word, that seemed to sort of come into my career 
So maybe that was why. Yeah, maybe in hindsight, <laughs> the mechanical failure colours was bad enough yeah, for you, mate. Yeah, damn it. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that one. Well, well, well spotted. <laughs> right, what else have we got here? Yeah, what else we got? Paul's said, what can you hear as you are driving around? So from a driver's point of view, sat in the cockpit, what can you hear? What a stupid question. Yeah, Paul. you can hear. You can hear an engine. You can hear an engine. That, that is the main thing. <laughs> You know, a lot you see a lot of the drivers before the race, they put in like earplugs and stuff like that. So, you know, that that obviously reduces the amount you can hear, but you've got your team radio and you've got your engine noises. That's kind of it really, isn't it, for yeah. me, mate? Yeah, I think I think in the old normally aspirated era, actually the air box and the amount of sort of air being sucked into the into the engine actually made quite a lot of noise at the same time. You've got to You've got a little bit of the transmission sort of whining uh, as well. The the sound of the combustion engine itself, when you look at these modern cars, you can probably, if you get right behind the car, the exhaust, and probably about, I don't know, 10 degrees left and right, it's actually a really good sound. But it's not like the old V8s and V10s, where it literally was a 360 degree sound that used to sort of resonate around the track but also when you're in the cockpit itself so so i think the air the air box was one big noise i remember um, and then obviously you've got the engine as well and i suppose a little bit as well with the air that you're traveling so fast through it you can actually feel it sort of it's quite a deep sound where yeah. the air is sort of going past and it's if you open your visor slightly that can you know exaggerate it a bit can't yeah, it yeah massively yeah 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 and it's and I, I suppose the other thing wasn't a sound but there was always in, in sort of in the mid 90s a lot of buffeting that you used to get as well so actually the helmet in your head was sort of shaking left to right um because of the way that the air was moving around and then as time went by uh they were able to sort of reduce the helmet buffeting that you had because that was actually making you really tired during a race because you were fighting not just what was going on through the steering wheel and the g-forces that you were having but it was also the buffeting of the of the wind around uh, the cockpit and they made they cleaned up uh, that area of the car a lot as well i've got a question for you mate obviously i, I think from on one occasion i've had it where after i won the program free I was driving around on the in-lap and I could hear, you know, lots of clapping and fans cheering and stuff like that. What about you at Silverstone? You know, that the noise of the crowd, was that something you could visibly hear over all that, that engine noise that you were dealing with? Because that must have been epic. Yeah, yeah. Interesting question. I do remember remember some certain driver uh, driving around there in the early 80s winning uh, the uh, British Grand Prix uh, from a man from uh, Birmingham with uh, that sort of yeah. tash that he used to wear sometimes well most of his career Nigel Mansell he always said he could hear the hear the crowd screaming and shouting as he was sort of doing the final laps I, I, I could not hear anything other than what we've just discussed <laughs> the engine the air really the, yeah I could not hear anything you could see is that because you think you were focused on the job of trying to actually win the race itself Are you almost like blocked out that I Extra noise. Well, I would go back to where I initially said, "What a stupid question, Paul." It's not a stupid question because <laughs> it is so noisy in those cars. And uh, Volker Weidler, a driver that I drove with at Le Mans when we won Le Mans them in the Mazda, and he, he did a little bit of Formula One, but he did his whole career without using earplugs, and he got tinnitus and struggled, had to stop racing because it just drove him absolutely mad. I couldn't sleep. I had to start, I never used them in karting, I never used them in Formula Ford, 
And I don't think I used them in Formula 3, but I started using them when I went to Formula 3000 because the noise just got so, so bad that I knew damage was going was gonna to come to my ears. So that's when then you have to wear the earplugs. Now it's sort of all the radio is in within the earplug itself and it's molded yeah. specifically for each each driver. Were they comfy back in the day? The old uh, earplugs you guys had to use, were they just the bog standard sort of foam ones that well, you know you, you have? Initially, it was, I only know the molded ones. Yeah, initially it was just a little a little little bit of foam that you put in your ear. The actual yeah. radio was a were two speakers that were actually mounted in the helmet that were probably the yeah. size of a slightly gnarled golf ball, I suppose. They were really big old speakers. Yeah. And then they started to go in ear, but it was only those little sort of um foam ones where it was actually in the middle of the foam. So when you were trying to get it in your ear, it was really difficult because the thing would only switch. Yeah, they were right. Staff. I remember really trying terrible. to use one once yeah. on a test day as I've lost my molded ones. Yeah, so, and the molded ones are just, yeah, they just fit in your ear perfectly and keep out all, this, yeah. all the sounds. So, yeah, things change. It's like anything. Um, technology changes and uh, that in-ear technology was very important. And, of course, when I did radios originally, you, you could hear going past the pit then you never heard anything for the rest of that lap. It was yeah. snap, crackle, and pop the whole way around. They were yeah. terrible, absolutely terrible. Now <laughs> it's a full lap yeah, of uh, communication. They're top tier now. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Right, let's move on to the next one. One from Sarah here. How well did you know Senna, Johnny, as he'd be? Was he a good guy? Sarah, he was, he was a gent, a real gent. I always... I got on well with Ayrton because I knew him a little bit when I was in karting. We raced each other a couple of times in karting. I think I only beat him once when he had a poor weekend in a kart that wasn't very competitive at the time. But that that doesn't matter. I was faster. Did you know straight away, Johnny? I finished. I was faster than Ayrton Senna (laughs) that weekend. Yeah. For the clickbait. For the clickbait. (laughs) I was going to ask, did you know when you saw him in karts, you know, back in the day that he was something special? Was it that clear or was it like... He's good, but who knows who's if he's going to be great. Yes, I, I, there was always something special about Ayrton. And the thing that I remember all everybody talking about, and you'll know this, Billy, most of the time with a two-stroke engine, you sort of choke the carburetor at the, the end of the straight. That'll get a little bit of more yeah. fuel in it because it's getting very, very hot. You're running it very lean, very weak with the fuel. So you just got to try and get some fuel in there so it doesn't seize up. Ayrton seemed to have a... An understanding that he choked it at the big at the exit of a corner. He's the only driver that I've ever seen do that. I don't know what it was he did, but the only other thing I, I remember. Well, well, he, well, he never won a world championship. Uh, That's the unfortunate thing. He never won a world championship, which I know he was hungry to do. And you think he would have if he hadn't done that? Ah. Uh-huh. Well, that's uh, that's that's another matter. Yeah, you only have a bit of advice I, for him. I don't think so. I don't think I am the one to tell him what he sh- he should have shouldn't have done. I think he knew a little bit, yeah, a little, a little bit more than I did in those early days. But what I do remember, I'm saying that was something he did very different. And when he went to Formula One, and when he was racing, I th- I think a little bit probably when he was with Tolman, but I do remember it when he was in the Lotus with the turbos, the old turbos. He, when he went into a corner, he'd shift. Is with the old, the old stick shift gears that they used to have. And then he used to blip the throttle all the way through the corner, which was just to try and spin up the turbo, keep the turbo spinning. So when he wanted to get on the power, 
it was actually spinning enough for him to to accelerate. And I, and, I, and he was the only one who did that. So his brain was always trying to work out a way that would get him get him get him an advantage when he, when he was in the race car. Fascinating how he was thoughtful. But I must admit, and you know that, Billy, now they do exactly the same thing. They will find everything they possibly can to give them the advantage. But we're talking, this is 1984, 1985, total different time. You go further back with probably the likes of Nicky Lauder and Jackie Stewart. They had the same mindset. Yeah. They were way ahead of their time. Way ahead of their time. And what was he like? What was Senna like away from the racetrack, mate? Obviously, you've kind of said, you know, he was yeah. a gen. But away from the racetrack, did he like a party? Did he switch off from Formula One? How did he yeah. sort of, did you ever see him in an environment away from a circuit? Only a couple of times. And I, I, I think we discussed this in a couple of sort of lift the lids, a couple of, couple of, couple back, where there was one race a year that everybody let their hair down, which was normally in Adelaide in Australia. So that was where you'd sort of see Ayrton go for it. Shall we say, and, and, and did enjoy he go that, it? enjoy that evening. Yes, he did go for it. Yes, absolutely. Everybody went for it, including Ayrton. One thing I know he did do a lot, and it was a very important thing for his motivation, was to actually go back to Brazil. And I remember with, with actually little Bruno Senna being sort of on the boat with Ayrton, and Ayrton would be going around sort of the the uh, the sea um, in his boat with with Bruno and the family, and that was his that was his downtime. And, but he was very family orientated. So, but as a, as a guy, when you were at the racetrack, yeah, he was very blinkered on what he was doing for that weekend, which was to go as fast as he possibly could in a in a race car. But every time we, or a lot of times, we came out of the driver's briefing, he always used to sort of pinch my backside as he sort of came out like that. So he had a really nice soft soft side to him as well. But you know, we have that with. You know, the likes of someone like, you know, George and Lando, for example. They've got a nice way about that. You know, even the good-looking Charles Leclerc, the same. A really nice, nice guy. Max is the same. Look, they, they're, in, they're different. They're all different. They're all different characters. Yeah. But fundamentally, they're all pretty decent guys. Yeah, it's actually funny that you brought Charles Leclerc up, mate, just, just off the top of my head thinking that, you know, the story around Baku of him, you know, bringing out a song. You know, he did that. Is is yeah. with a piano and released it, and it was right up there in the charts uh, at one sure. point. So you know, what do you make of that? That's a bit of a different way of you know spending your off t- off time from the racetrack. Yeah, but I, it's like I suppose it's like any Billy. It's just what you you find that you can relax the most. You know, Nigel Mansell did it on the golf course. Loved his golf and was you know very good at his golf. You know, he was I think he may have been a scratch golfer or very close close to it. Wow, and that's what that's he. Enjoy too. I know Damon Hill. It's the same. He loves his golf uh, 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 as well. So everybody's got a different, a different way of just having that downtime. How do you think you'd get on if you released a song, mate? Do you think you'd yeah. be up there in the charts? Um, uh, uh, I don't know why I'm sort of taking so long to make a decision. Absolutely no way it would ever be a hit. <laughs> dreadful. Tambourines. That's the only, and I don't know if Tambourine. you can class it as playing, but I do sort of seem to have a semi-rhythm. You've got a bit of a knack for Se- it. I know. I don't think it's even that, Billy. I think it's just it. I think everything else around me, the drums and the guitar drown out. The tambourine, so I actually sort of get away with it. Everything else, absolutely not a chance of getting a, a sensible note 
out of me, even my voice. Well, who knows, mate? You know, if, he, if Charles Leclerc can do it, I'm expecting big things from you, maybe. In no, the it's you. No, it's you, you mate. You're younger. No, you're younger. No, not a musical button in my body, even, mate. So, having between <laughs> us, we'd make something god awful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, let's take a, a quick break and then we'll be back right after with some more of your questions. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back, guys. Uh, let's dive back into more of yes. your questions. Okay. Let's start off with David. Johnny, do you want to go read this one out for us? Okay. Yeah, I'll go for this one. Right. As a driver, do you take time to get to know your team or do you just arrive and drive? Yeah. I think for me, um, obviously, my, my experiences, I think, would feel like as a driver a little bit different in the sense, you know, of, you know having to basically reinvent the way i drove a racing car you know that yeah sure that's straight off the bat that changed it from being arrive and drive because i couldn't arrive and drive the cars as they were i had to spend a lot of time in the factory behind the scenes with engineers and with my mechanics you know figuring out how to reinvent how i was going to drive a racing car making it competitive so it meant spending a lot of you know weekday nights late in the factory rather than the boys finishing work sort of as you usually would like nine to five they were staying at the factory till eight nine o'clock with me on on some occasions in that sort of six seven month period where we were working to get back back behind the wheel so i know from that experience alone i grew super close um yeah. with with the team you know it would be a case of they'd be working i'd nip out around the corner get some pizzas for everyone we'd be having like a sort of team dinner together on just a, a usual weeknight even if it wasn't race week so, yeah, my experience is that, you know, I really, it was really important to, to bond with my team, not only just because that's what we had to do, but because I think it got the best out of everyone being involved yeah. in that situation. You know, I think it's a, as much as the drivers get the highlight reels, you know, written about them and stuff like that, yeah. it's a te- it is a team sport because without a quick car, without mechanics that know what they're doing, that, you know, go through the car with a, uh, fine attention to detail you know mistakes can happen and you can the end result won't be the same yeah and it's motivation as well isn't it you as drivers we need our own motivation anyway but actually so do the your mechanics who are working on yeah. the car they need to have motivation as well but you need to have a relationship where there is trust from yeah. them to you but actually then there is trust from you to them 
because as you said, you're, you know, you're working as a team, but trying to get the best out of each other. So I think the important thing, and I think you see, I would say every driver do it on the beginning of a weekend, they will all go effectively around the garage shaking hands with yep. pretty much sort of everyone. It may, it may not happen in the first session, but they would generally do it all the way through those practice sessions. And I think that's an important part of the bonding that you all have, not at the beginning of the year, not when you first join a, a team, but you just you do it at every every morning that you are in a in a Grand Prix car. And it's and I'm saying Grand Prix car Formula One, but it's actually outside that. It's F two, it's S three and it's Formula Ford as it was for me. And I think karting it's the same thing. So you learn all those sort of skills to sort of understand how important those mechanics are in a very uh, a very early age. And then you can utilize those and use them positively when eventually and hopefully if you get that chance to get to get to Formula One. So it is a very very important thing to be able to do that. Arrive and drive is definitely a very negative, a negative vibe that yeah. you start to feel personally just if you if you had that sort of arrogance about you. Yeah, I I agree. I've had teammates in the past that were a bit like that where they, you know, to be fair, you know, some of them had, you know, different situations, you know, a lot of foreign drivers, you know, that were sort of traveling overseas to come to the race weekends, you know, they'd do the testing, they'd go home, then they'd come back. But even still, you kind of always felt like um, they were on the outside of being, you know, part of the team. They were kind of, like you say, there to, you know, it was a, it was them doing their thing and everyone else was just kind of paid to be around them to and to sort of run the car. But it, I never saw that that relationship between driver and team work out in a positive way it always you always felt like they would leave something on the table in terms of performance by doing stuff yeah. like that so yeah i think it that is one of the most important things that maybe goes under the radar even in formula one is having a real bond connection with your team being yeah. able to tell your engineer what you mean and him be able to understand you not just because he understands your feedback but because he understands you as a person he knows what gets you, you know, getting ticking in the right way and what gets the best out of it. Yeah, yeah. And, th you know, the things I remember, that I think when I was at Lotus, let's say in the early 90s, we, there were only 60 people total in the team. So actually when you went to the factory, you could, you pretty much knew everybody. But now if you go to Mercedes-Benz, there's like 11, 1,200 people just at Brackley. And then there's another sort of thousand-ish but Bricksworth. A lot of names to remember. There's a lot of names and faces to try and remember. But of course, there's so many different departments. You know, again, when I started racing, probably not so much when I finished, but more when I started, there was just your team. There was the, the bays where the cars were sort of prepped. And then you had sort of the carbon fibre department sort of next door. The gearbox sort of department was within the bays of the, where the cars were being being rebuilt but that's very different now but of course you've also got the team that is very much an important yep. part of a of a grand prix weekend which is the the guys that do the sim work and you've got to make an effort even with them as well not everybody's a fan of driving a sim but if you don't make the effort i think they get a bit sort of upset understandably because they're doing so much work to try and get that simulator to relay the setup at a certain race wherever that may be and if you don't make that effort i think that goes against you as well so there's so many elements to to what you know how a driver has to embed itself in a formula one team 
Yeah, you know, any team actually. Any team. Yeah, completely agree, mate. Um, we've got another question here from Jenny. But yeah, have you ever been on holiday with another driver? Uh, yeah, I have. Have you? Yeah, I've been on holiday. I'm trying to think in the world of Formula One. Um, I've not really been on holiday with any of the current Formula One drivers. I've had uh, George Russell stayed at my house before when we were back in the karting days. So you know, he's he's ended up coming back. Um, I think it was actually during the time where we were both teammates of the same team. He ended up, him and his uh, mum and his dad ended up coming back to ours, um, and that was purely because it was a new race team being formed, and we were. Me, my dad, George and his family were all helping the team manager sort of build the new race truck that was going to carry the go-karts and stuff in when we were racing yeah. abroad. So we basically built that <laughs> in our in our driveway. It was parked up there and we'd be working late nights on that. So George stayed down here for a little bit while that whilst that was all going on. Um, but obviously, friends from karting as well. I've been on holiday with my best mate, Jamie, who, uh, who won in Formula 4. I've been on holiday with him to bits and pieces, so few little trips here and there. Yeah, I, I would probably say it's, it hasn't been an organised holiday with another driver. I think it was an, an organised break between Grand Prix yeah. that we stayed together probably in the same the same hotel. So that's from Michael to Jos Verstappen to Mika Hakkinen uh, to DC yeah. to, you know, to the majority of the drivers. So I think that was always for me sort of probably enough. Yeah. <laughs> That you'd have that sort of half a week or week where you'd be together from that point of view. So outside it, strangely enough, there was never that side of things. But I always felt it was on both sides. I think as time went by from my early days to my latter days of Formula One, the competitiveness between the teammates was so, so high. There didn't seem to be a willingness on both sides to have the relationship outside Formula One. So I think that... Yeah, yeah, maybe one more than the other, but quite enough no, to make so it happen. I I, in my time, no. There was probably a time where there were a lot of, it was about six or seven Brits together uh, in Formula One. There was quite a lot of French. There was a few, some Italians as well. But everybody sort of kept to their own uh, country of drivers and never sort of mixed with, with, with each other. I think there's more of that now, actually. I think there's a lot more mingling. Yeah. Of 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 George and Lando and Charles, for example, and Max, and I know they do their sort of their um, sim sim driving as well, gaming gaming sim driving, and I know they, whenever we see it, but it looks fantastic, and they have a real proper laugh. So I think they probably do a lot more stuff outside because they have a, a closer relationship. It seems nowadays. Yeah, I agree. I think nowadays it does seem more that way. Um, we've got another question here from Jenkin. Thoughts on De Vries and will Red Bull put Lawson in the car mid-season if he's not performing? Uh, Which I don't know about you, Johnny, but obviously that's a timely question with what happened in Baku. The fact you know Nick made that mistake, hit the wall, DNF'd made on a the few Sunday. Though, hasn't he? Yeah, mm. it's not been the best start of the season to him, and I think no. the situation he's in as well is it's quite a difficult one for him because he's coming to Formula One as a you know as a rookie effectively. You know, with a bit to learn, he's got Yuki Tsunoda as his teammate. But I'd say, in amongst the paddock, people probably expected him from the get-go to yes. have a chance of outperforming Yuki. You know, to have the upper hand. You know, with Nick's track record, you know, winning Formula Two, exactly. winning Formula E, I yeah. feel like he was almost in a not a lose-lose situation. But he had to hit the ground running from the from the start and prove that he was almost better than Yuki straight away to really, you know, 
assert himself in the paddock. I feel like at the minute, the fact that Yuki's doing such a good job and Yuki himself in the first couple of years of Formula One was outperformed consistently by Gasly. Yeah, you always start to make those, you know, conclusions of, oh, Gasly's better than Yuki, so if Yuki's better than Nick, that puts down at the bottom of that pecking order. (laughs) And even though that might not be the case in a you know different car with that might suit him better, right now that's kind of the situation I think he's in. He needs to start you know putting some performances together really well well he, you're, you're absolutely right billy i you know from everything he did prior to getting to to formula one you would always go this guy's good yeah. this guy's got a lot of a lot of talent and he has got a lot of talent but so far it's been a very scrappy start to his sort of formula one career you know we go back to monza williams and getting the points and fantastic and all that positive energy that he got from that and from that, he actually got himself a drive in Formula One because everybody yeah. was like, yeah, that is impressive. That's what makes it even more confusing because his debut yeah, in Monza was so impressive that everyone kind of thought, well, yeah, of course he deserves a seat in Formula One because he's one F2, one Formula E, he jumps in an F1 car, gets points. You think this guy's going to be in a Formula One for years and years to come, but it already feels like there's that slight bit of tension and maybe a bit of desperation and in Nick's driving that he knows himself that you know he needs to deliver sooner rather than later which yeah it, it, it's a tricky one for him you know Lawson Liam Lawson I know pretty well I raced him in um, yeah uh, a few years ago and he was a good driver um really well rounded I'd say like thrived in most conditions you know that I didn't really spot a huge weakness in him even when from when I was racing him back in 2018 and he's obviously developed yeah. more since, since then himself but we never know with the AlphaTauri set up with Helmut Marco what he's got, you know, what he's thinking because we've seen it before, haven't we? We've seen Alex, you know, get the the jump into Red Bull and Gasly get demoted back down to AlphaTauri. I feel like it seems unlikely that they would kick a driver out of the team halfway through the season permanently. So to get just give Nick the boot halfway through and get Lawson seems like a drastic jump to me. You know, if there was a situation where they were going to swap drivers in teams, I could see that maybe being a bit more realistic. Yeah, I, d- I don't know, Billy. I, j- I you know, Helmut Marco is a is a right hard character. He is that does not wait for anybody after after a couple of couple of races. I think he he expects them to up their game once they're given that chance. I'm sure their conversations haven't been you know super no. calm, chilled, and relaxed. I'm no. sure there's been a little bit of a uh, passive aggressive comments being made towards Nick by Helmut saying, listen, definitely, you know, you've got to up your game. Yeah. Th- there will be support there at the same time. True. But there will also be a lot of pressure thrown on there of the expectations that, that they will be hoping to see from, from Nick. And then, you know, we're talking about it. We've had a question about it there from Jenkin and he will know that if the performances don't improve, then there is a chance that someone like Lawson may be sort of getting into the car. So there are there's a lot of pressure on a driver anyway. Where, where it doesn't matter what formula you're in, but of course Formula One is sort of the the biggest pressure that you're ever gonna ever gonna uh, encounter. Um, and that is where he's at at the moment. But he's not yet shown a sign where he's got any sort of consistency throughout a weekend yet. It's always been very scrappy. Now, I don't know the whole story. If there have been other issues that have sort of made that 
a little bit more difficult for him. But I think fundamentally, it's probably been a bit, bit of a disappointment. It's probably been the biggest dis disappointment of all the drivers, rookie drivers anyway, because I think we all expected so much yeah, more. Yeah, I think, you know, that expectation, that is part of the reason why it feels like yeah. everything is going drastically wrong. I'm sure, obviously, one weekend can change a lot in Formula 1. So, you know, with Miami coming up, if he can deliver there, all of a sudden, you know, I'm sure these conversations yeah. can change around. And I think Nick's aware of that, you know, that things change quickly in Formula 1. One minute, you're on top of the world. The next minute, you know, everyone's, you know, caught to your head. So, yeah, I yeah. guess his his focus has just got to be on, you know, delivering out in Miami and getting getting things sorted from his side, getting the maximum out of that car. And there's not really much to it for more for him, is there? That's what the nope. job is to do. Get the most out of what you're given as a car and try and get some points on the board. Sounds simple, Billy. Sounds very <laughs> simple. <laughs> not so easy to Applying make. Applying it. Yeah. No, Greg you absolutely not. No, not at all. Anyway, good question there, Jenkins. Very good question there. I like that. Because it has been, for me anyway, quite a, quite a disappointment. Now, we've got a few questions on the sprint format. I thought we would get a Billy. few. Yeah, so we got one here from Georgia. So thoughts on the format uh, of the weekend? Well, I think just got... we, we we briefly sum summarised this, didn't we, after our la last episode straight off the back of Baku? But for me, I think there's a lot of positives to take from the new format. Every day felt like it had something, a bit of jeopardy to it. You know, the drivers pushing at a hundred percent. Whether that was the qualifying session for Sunday on the Friday, whether it was the sprint race quality and sprint race itself. Where we uh, we saw a bit of action in that sprint race, Max Verstappen and George going wheel to wheel, you know, a bit of contact showing that they were willing to put it on the line when it was more of a one-off race than how it used to work, where it would set up the grid for Sunday. So overall, for me, mate, I think it's more positive than negative. I don't really, you know, see too many negatives about around it. No, no not nor did I. Now I'm going to keep George's question within the next question. Yeah, because. The next question from Louis is, do you think less FP sessions was a, was a negative impact on the racing over the weekend? So you've got the sprint format, as Georgia has brought up. Now, the sprint format is not every single Grand Prix weekend that we go to. So to me, what is wrong with having something different than we've had before? What is wrong with it being a little bit more difficult for the engineers and the teams to get the setup correct before they go into qualifying for, for the for the Sunday race, for example. And of course, they go straight into qualifying the following day for the sprint race. And then I know there have been some comments about, well, that's not a good thing for Formula One because they're not getting the best out of their, their given cars. Yeah. But then I'd actually go... The other way and say well actually i think it gives an opportunity yeah. to let's say yuki sonoda who got eight well in that qualifying session gave him a chance it which probably would have wouldn't have happened it didn't happen the, the next day but he had that opportunity that the car felt right for him in a very short term test period fb1 um before he went into qualifying i like it because it it means something on Friday. I know we discussed this and lift the lip uh, before, where it means something on Friday, it means something on Saturday, it means something on Sunday. Now, whatever you yeah. think of the sprint race itself, a bit like the race on Sunday, you know, it wasn't the most dynamic race in the world. No. 
I think that's maybe where these questions come from, is the fact that yes. in previous years, Baku's been a great race on the calendar, and it's been an, yes, sort of an epic battle going on, lots of overtakes, and this year it kind of felt a little bit flat on the Sunday. And I guess people can question whether, you know, if everyone had got their cars in the right window, whether that would have maybe closed the midfield battle up a little bit, whether that would have meant closer racing. Equally, I, I completely get your point of view on it, that it does provide an opportunity if you, you know, if you've done the work before the race weekend properly and you come out the box firing and, you know, you're happy with your car, yeah. all of a sudden you've got a chance to leapfrog up a few positions. So, you know, if everyone, if everyone came out of the box with a car that they were happy with, and we had only F one FP one session, then nothing would change. No, so exactly. No, I guess it's it's more puts a bit of onus on the teams to make sure you you somehow get it right straight from the beginning of the weekend. Yeah, I, and I think that's where I I like it because it is that little bit more difficult for everybody. And and as you've alluded to a little bit there, Billy, is they they all come there so prepared anyway because they do thousands and thousands of laps on the simulator before they even sort of. The wheels of the aircraft touch the ground in Baku, for example. So yeah. they they've got so much more information than than I have ever had when I started Formula One. Thousands of laps. They probably do more laps in their well, they do in their career than than they probably triple the amount of laps that I ever did in my whole career. I know there's more races nowadays, but they have to do so 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 much more when they're actually just sitting in a car in a factory in Brackley, for example, like George and and, and Lewis. So the format, Georgia, I I don't mind it because it's it's only going to be sort of you know what four races or whatever it is throughout the season. It's not that's not a big deal. That it's yeah, it's not a huge commitment. No, is it an impact on the championship? I again, I don't think so. It didn't seem that way with the result that we got on Sunday. Anyway, they still had the probably the same advantage they always have. But that was with less time, I suppose, to get the car sort of right. So it yeah. didn't change that much. The the middle pack, you know, I don't I know Toto Wolf has sort of brought it up that it was a boring race and, you know, maybe these cars are not working as everybody was alluding to at the beginning of the season where we're in Bahrain and Saudi, for example. But this is one track where historically we always think it's going to be great. But it doesn't always happen that way. Yeah, even the best racetracks on the calendar that we think we're going to get yes. the best racing have yes. odd races where nothing really goes on. And equally, it can go the other way where, you know, you could go to a racetrack where you think we're not going to see a lot of action here and you can get some yeah. action. So uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't sort of write it off as a format because we've had one sort of weekend where the racing was a bit flat. I, I, I do think give it a bit of time, see how it pans out with the next few yeah. races. And uh, I'm sure it will start to deliver a bit more. Yeah, the the only one thing, Billy, that I sort of, I don't know, I, I, I'll use the word worry, is because the, I know the philosophy of the team is to try and stop a car following as close as it possibly can to obviously give itself a chance to, to overtake it. So what do they try and do? They always try and create enough dirty air, still keeping the efficiency and the the drag to what they want as a number, but actually create a lot of sort of dirty, buffety air that doesn't allow the car behind to follow. And I think as these upgrades start to filter in, I reckon there is an element 
that part of that development is actually to make it more difficult for the car behind. Really? That's an interesting thought. Man. I've not really yeah. I thought about that myself. Yeah. You always think that the upgrades are just there to make the car quicker, but I guess if you can deter a car from following, then that effectively does make you quicker. Yeah. Interested, mate. A bit of yeah, a bit yeah, yeah out the maybe, box thinking maybe. from you there, mate. Impressed, impressed. <laughs> maybe I've got one more. Got one more. Last question. This is from Ben. This is for you, Billy. Not for me. Uh, for me. What are your hidden talents? Uh, they're so hidden <laughs> that I don't know what they are. I was going to use the same <laughs> hidden talents. Oh dear, oh dear! I bet Ben was expecting some elaborate answers from us here, mate. And so far, what yes. we said is we're talentless. <laughs> we're talentless. It feels like you know when you get that that bag of balls with numbers on. Someone puts their hand in it and tries to go around and find some balls and balls with a number. I find that I would probably put my hand in there, and I would just be rummaging around for hours, but never actually find a ball. <laughs> Talent. I do. Were you good at any other sports? I'm trying to think. Any other sports when you were growing up that you, you know... Well, I was good at running, long-distance running. Yeah. I've been sort of a London Marathon sort of contender. I'm, I think I'm too short. My <laughs> legs would have done twice as much mileage as everybody else's, so I don't think <laughs> on that. Golf was never a big thing for me. Remote control racing, which I enjoy, but I'm not really particularly good at that. Tennis, I was rubbish. Hidden talents... Now the only the only thing I enjoyed when I was was actually when I was racing Formula One was obviously when the the you had the start of computers coming into play, especially when sort of Windows happened. I remember MSS MS DOS. I don't know if you remember MS DOS. No, sort of that's got out of my head, mate. It's the base of a computer, and it's all those silly squiggly lines with a load of sort of random letters and things that I never understood whatsoever. Then Windows came along and it was a visual visual that you could sort of understand it more. I used to build my own computers. Ah, uh, so you're if a, that's a hidden computer talent, nerd and you've... Uh... That's hidden <laughs> talent. I'm going to say that's my hidden talent. I can build a computer. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, that's I'll, the only thing I'll, I can come up with. I'll give you that one. That's That's solid. Now you've had. Now you've made me Those think. Bad solid. All of a sudden, I'm questioning: Am I good with computers too? And the answer is <laughs> firmly no. <laughs> My life, like yours, has just always been about arts and cars. Yeah, genuinely, that, isn't it? That's the big it's focus. Nothing else. Football, no. Rugby, no. Yeah. Javelin, triple jump, long jump, no. Any of that sporting stuff, no. The only thing was the computers, and it did work. I built it. It did work. That's that's one other thing I've got to make sure that everybody understands. They did work. It wasn't just yeah. a, I pushed the button and nothing happened or it burst into flames. <laughs> they did actually. They did actually work. Yeah, if it was like that, then maybe I'd have a go at building a computer too, mate. <laughs> if that's if that's the if that's the benchmark for a hidden talent, then maybe I could have a, a crack at the whip. But no, I think I liked sport in general. Like you say, mm, racing yeah. was the main thing for me. I'd say that maybe a hidden talent for me is when I was growing up, like I said, I liked to design my cart helmets. I'd say I was quite good mm-hmm. at art when I was a kid. Okay, I used there to, you go. Like, I used to like to paint and draw and stuff like that. Yep. You know, I'm not saying I would have been a superstar selling artwork for millions, although it would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely didn't happen. <laughs> it definitely yeah, it didn't, didn't happen, happen. <laughs> yeah. It went as far as designing crash helmets and about a couple of canvas paintings, probably in our attic. That's about it. Yeah, that's further than I ever got. I never designed anything like that. I'm useless at art. 
absolutely useless. Thanks for a lot for that question. Yes, You've made indeed. me and Johnny, you know, judge ourselves on a whole different level there and think, what, we need to find some more talent, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. But great questions there, Billy. Great questions. All right. Finally, mate, it wouldn't be, you know, the build up to a race weekend without, you know, making a prediction for Miami and our favourite, you know, thing to do ah, in the world. Yes. Of lift the lid and the podcasts. Uh, do you yes. want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, I'm going to let you go first because I think this is a hidden talent oh. that we both have. <laughs> I thought it was a hidden talent after the first race <laughs> where I nailed it. And then since then, it has been a, a far cry from a hidden talent. It's all gone very it's wrong. It's all yes, gone actually. wrong. Well, yeah. where to start? Ugh. Miami, from memory, it's a Red Bull domination kind of circuit. Yeah. I'm going to go. What do you want to see? What do you want to see? Well, if I, if I, if I was going what I want to see, I'd want to see a completely mixed bag. I'd want to see three different types of car on a podium. Go on then. Do a top three then sort of what you'd love to see. What I'd love to see. I'd love to see... Um, I'd love to see a Fernando Alonso win. Yeah. Because I think that would just be unbelievable celebrations on the podium. I'd like to see uh, a Ferrari on the podium as well. Um Maybe I'd like to see Carlos Sainz have a good weekend because I feel like he's had a yes. bit of a Prove yeah that. he's had a bit of a slow start and I'd like to see Lewis back on the podium because I feel like he needs a little boost as well he's kind of gone under the radar a little bit you know we've been talking about he has and a few bits and pieces yes. but but I think you know potentially an Alonso Sainz Hamilton podium that would be you know a, a quite a, a good one I'd say yeah I, I, again I'd probably I'd like to see George George up there on the podium for sure. And I'm going to have to go with you as well with Fernando because I think it would be brilliant to see to see him win a race. Actually, let's go for a winner. You know, to win a race yeah. would be awesome. Absolutely awesome. We've seen him on the podium a few yes. times this year. He's not, you know, new to the podium this season, but a win's completely different no, ball game. Exactly. And then I've got to throw one out there, which is I've always, always liked, or I, I, I have, I've always loved what they're about. I'd love one of the Williamses to do it. I just would love that to happen. An Alex Album Maybe, podium, yes. a Logan Sard yeah, podium, yeah, one of them. Be. So that's that a... would be, that would be, I think, a bit of a dream because I think I, I've always loved what Frank and Patrick yeah. were about in the early days. And the name is still there. The name has still got all that history. Yeah, it'd be nice to see Williams up there. Are we, get, are we going to do a realistic? A realistic. Let's go realistic. for a realistic. Well, I'm going to go for the Red Bulls. Got to be the Red Bulls again. Yeah. One and two. Which order? I'm going to go for the man that I think's on a little bit of a of a run. He's talking very positive about he reckons he can beat Max to the championship. So I'm actually I'm going to so go for go Sergio. Jack Sergio then Max, and then probably for that final final podium. I'm probably going to have to go Charles. Okay. Just because I to back think podium. I think that Ferrari may. They may have just found what's needed to only get that sort of final podium position. Okay, interesting, mate. You've gone back for the red car yes, again. Yes, we both was, keep doing been, that. It had been a little bit of a, a break. We avoided it last week and they got a podium. <laughs> yes. And now we're back, we're back on, on the red, the red they're the ones. <laughs> I'm going to join you with the Red Bull 1-2. I'm going to go Max wins and Checo second. And I'm going to yeah. go back to sticking... From the, no, actually, I'm going to go Lewis Hamilton. Oh, oh! I nearly well, said that? Fernando Alonso you there, did. and it it was close. Wow! But Based on what he was on my podium in the what I would like to see. So part of it is okay. I would like to yes. see on the, him on the podium, and I think 
I have, I, I do think we saw glimpses of good speed from the Mercedes, you know, across Baku, uh, but maybe not all linked into one weekend. You know, it wasn't a million miles off Charles and the Fernando at the end of sure, the Grand Prix, you know, maybe like within five, ten seconds of him. We saw George yeah. in the sprint race, you know, did. there as well. So I think all it needs is, you know, a Lewis or a George, someone to get the maximum out of that car across a whole weekend. And I think they could throw themselves in the mix. So it's a little bit out there, but yeah, Lewis is going to be on the podium for me in third. It's so. not a little bit out there. It's way out you there. You reckon? You reckon? You reckon <laughs> I've got no chance? I think for the moment, I, yeah, I think they're just not quite, they haven't, they haven't got the package that they they don't know how it works. All right. Well, we shall see, Donnie. I still don't we believe it. We shall see. We shall see. You're right. Yeah. We shall see indeed. Yeah. That was a lot of fun, mate. Really enjoyed all those questions. Yeah. Did. Me too as well, which was really good fun. So... Yeah, looking forward to the next Grand Prix coming away and, of course, the coronation. Yeah, as yeah well. absolutely. Doing a little mate. bit of dressing up for, for that as well on Saturday. Oh, yeah. I hope you are as well. So, yeah, yeah looking forward to it. Yeah, you're gonna be, yeah, a bit of a waistcoat, a bit of a silly hat. And, oh, the full shebang. Uh, barbecue. Nice, I like it. No, a bit of a, yeah, I wouldn't say the full shebang. But... Oh, okay, well, I want a selfie anyway, mate. I want a selfie. Oh, okay, I'll try and word that one out. Okay. Get you the full it. attire yeah. in there. Uh, yeah, either way, it's going to be nice to have a bank holiday weekend, enjoy some Formula One. Indeed. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for all the questions. You know, these episodes, we have a lot of fun answering your questions. So um, if you have we any do. more questions for the next few episodes coming up, please make sure that you get in touch with us via social media and you can find us at Lift the Lid Pod. And if you can, join us next week as we review the Miami Grand Prix. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Goodbye. See ya. Bye. This has been a Soapbox London and SBX Studios production. Our executive producers were Rowan Wilkinson and Andy Bell. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.